G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast, the Round 23 Review Edition. 198 home and away games this AFL season are now done and dusted and we're in the finals, the biggest nine games of 2019 and uh, what do they say, you can never, never count on particular results going anyone's way in this crazy football environment we're in, as I say. Very good evening to my co-host, Mark Fine. How are you, Fine? I'm well. It's done and dusted in terms of, of course, the positions in the finals and it wasn't really until Brisbane and Brisbane played out a very interesting game that we knew where everybody sat and, quite frankly, it's not what we thought coming into round 23. So it's a different world that we live in now. I know you're very bullish about the West Coast Eagles. I have to ask you off the top, how do you feel about their premiership chances now? Uh, Not nearly as bullish. In fact, I'll say straight off the top, I don't see how they're going to win either three, well, presuming they win their first final, which I think they will. uh, I don't see how they're going to win three finals in Melbourne after that or two finals in Melbourne and one in Brisbane. Uh, it's a bloody hard road, I'll, I'll tell you that, and uh, certainly wasn't counting on that. They've made it difficult for themselves. But you can make it easy on yourselves if you're after dinner. Yeah, I am. I haven't eaten all day. Now, Sunday's not the day, but every other day you head straight to Do Not Pass Go, Do Not Collect $200, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. And what will I find there? The best burgers in Melbourne. And the who would bur- make them? Andrews, of course. Ah, 80th birthday this year. Happy, very happy birthday to them too. We should have said that every week. And what's that address again? 144 Bridport Street in Albert Park. The best ingredients in a hamburger humanly possible. The tenderest meat patties. The softest and yet firmest buns. You love your buns, don't I you? love my buns. The crispiest lettuce. Uh, tomato, fresh as a daisy. Well, fresh <laughs> as a tomato. It should be your knees. Uh, eggs, if that is what you require. Free range. Bacon. Free. No, the bacon's not free. But it's all very good. And just as good as the burgers from Andrews is the rebuild of your house from Nick Spartels and Hardwick Bilko. Oh, do I need one of them? Do you? We've got Niagara Falls happening in our driveway. <laughs> it's not. It's a. It's an interesting look. It's a tourist attraction, anyhow. Anyway, those plumbers who are supposed to be coming around fixing it, uh, hop on your bikes, boys, because uh, uh, I think our water Yarra Valley water bill is about to go through the roof. Anyway, Nick Spartels, Hardwick Build Co. Great new houses or additions, add-ons, and renovations. All right, time we got stuck straight into it. Uh, We'll review all the games and then we'll uh, give you the lowdown on the finals, where and when. Let's go. On Footyology, wrap around. Okay, the final round of home and away action kicked off at the MCG on Friday evening with a big game between the Pies and the Bombers. And a great crowd too, 85,405 rolling up to the MCG. 
and they saw a pretty good contest, I reckon, between uh, an undermanned, it's fair to say, Essendon side that uh, gave plenty, and a Collingwood side that gradually worked its way on top, and in the end, pretty dominant in terms of general play. Final scores, 10-16-76 Collingwood, 11 point victors over Essendon, 10 goals, 5 65. Seven of those 10 goals for the Pies shared by two players. Brody Majacek, four, and Jamie Elliott, three. Singles, Thomas, Roughhead, and Adams. For the Bombers, four uh, goal kickers, each of two, as Peter Landy would say. Jaden Laverde, Braden Ham, Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody, and Sean McKernan. Singles, two. Brown and Langford. What'd you make of it, Finey? I'm glad you said, said that it was fairly comfortable in the end because if you watch the last quarter, it was sort of an 11-point thrashing. Essendon <laughs> couldn't get forward and Collingwood had the executioner's axe or the, you know, the, the, in their hand, they just chose not to deliver the death blow. Nevertheless, Essendon never really got a shot at goal even to put themselves back within a kick and maybe a chance of winning. Look, I, I admire Essendon's effort in this game. They certainly came in undermanned. Bell Chambers was underdone, and early on, Grundy was just running rings around him. Mm. So he pulled back a little bit, Bell Chambers, as the game wore on. I guess Grundy uh, wasn't as fresh, and Bell Chambers found at least a competitive side to the game. Grundy, in the end, 33 disposals, 35 hit-outs. Uh, still, still a BAG a dominant, oh, dominant by, performance. by my, my uh, reckoning. Uh, your man, look, Collingwood early looked like they could run away with this game, but Essendon quickly got into the match and took the lead. And I thought your man Langford was very good early. Yeah, his last couple of games, uh, he, he's found something. He's just got to get some consistency. But look, six goal first quarter, I think that's as good as anything they've turned on this season. Problem being afterwards, they kicked four goals uh, to, what did the Pies kick? Seven in the last three quarters. Um, look, just midfield, getting heads on the footy. Uh, Scott Penderbury, fantastic. I thought 33 touches for him. Adam Trelaw, his usual swag, 35. For the Dons, uh, great game from Connor McKenna, I thought. 35 disposals, that's easily a he career does, high yep. for him. Uh, 28 for Andy McGrath. Didn't quite use the ball as well uh, as he can. That can be a bit of an issue. Ditto, I'd say, actually. For Zach Merritt, and uh, an obvious concern coming out of this game too for the Bombers, Michael Hurley, and uh, not his crook shoulder, the good shoulder this time. So they haven't ruled him out yet of an elimination final, but uh, I suspect it might be touch and go. And for the Pies, no doubt the last two weeks, the ingredient that's given them a lot more dangerous look is one Jamie Elliott. It's been terrific. Yeah, I've, just early on in the game, I'll get to Elliott in a moment and how important he is to Collingwood's fortunes going forward. But the most basic skill in this game, the essential part of the game, surely is kicking. Yes. I mean, the game is called football. It's how we advance the ball furthest and how we score. The fact that McDonald, Tip and Woody is a an absolute number one, I think, in the competition. When you combine kicking a goal with field kicking, is there any better player than this man, McDonald, Tip and Woody? And, uh. how, va- and how valuable is it in the high-pressure game that we have now, to have that as part of your arsenal? Well, you'll find plenty of people who will argue that about anything. Really, I tweeted today, I thought Dustin Martin was the best kick of the football in the game and got 500 uh, people abusing me about that. You can get abuse for anything on Twitter, obviously. But I know where you're coming from because he's... Um, 
I mean, look, he's got a touch of the Cyril Riolis about him. He doesn't necessarily get a heap of touches, but every single one of them adds value. Yeah, yeah, um, it's so important. Yeah, no, he he was terrific. I, I thought actually, yeah, Essendon's best player for mine. Um, can I ask another question about the modern game? You can. All right, we had it in the Essendon-Collingwood game. We had it in the St Kilda versus Sydney game. We had this happening in the Richmond versus Brisbane game and maybe others if I put my mind to it. Why, when the players run out on the ground, they have a mindset of scoring and at quarter time you think you're on the road to a high-scoring game and it's like the coaches grab them and say, uh-uh, uh-uh, <laughs> we defend first and all of a sudden what is a six-goal to four game or seven goals on the board at quarter time quickly reverts back to a low-scoring game. Because I don't think they do come out with a mindset to score. I think it's an accident or something they've instructed hasn't been followed. So while we're all clapping them at quarter time saying, what a cracking game, the coaches are tearing their hair out. And this is why coaches, as much as we uh, laud them, are the, uh, you know, in purely aesthetic terms, coaches now are the arch enemy of football, I reckon. Do they focus too much on what a team's not doing right as compared to what they are getting right? I don't know if it's that so much as they focus too much on preventing scores rather than compiling them. And the fact is that to score, with defences as good as they are, there has to be some element of risk if you're going to up and open up the ground or a forward line sufficiently to score. Yep. And it's, it's you know, there's a tendency towards risk aversion, I think, you know, and perhaps, you know, the... the Players are worried about their spot in the team. Oh, the... no doubt, no doubt. Um, you know, it's a, it's a real shame because I, I think there's probably a lot of players out there sort of playing contrary to what their natural instincts are and, uh, you know, maybe their sides would be better for it. But, you know, that's that's the way the cookie is cut. At the, do you cut a cookie? No. It crumbles. Mate. Yeah, I, I, I've got a, a whole lot of metaphors completely jumbled there. Um, as it transpired, of course, Collingwood weren't to know this on Friday night, but uh, cards fell beautifully for them. Now, I, I think I tweeted after this game, I don't think Collingwood can win it unless they're top four. I think they can win it now. Um, what sort of show do you give them? How much would they need to improve on the last two weeks? Yeah, they need think? to improve. Yeah. They need, they need to be able to find other avenues to goal. Like, great game, Mayo Checker, uh, career equaling four, high of four goals. And look, Jamie Elliott, with the prospect of having Dugowie, Elliott, Thomas and Stevenson in the one team, you have a lot of very dangerous fast forwards. Mm. Now, oh, but not not just, um, but guys who can mark as well. Well, I mean, Elliot's strength is his marking. Yeah, well, Elliot, Dugowie and Stevenson, I think, are all similar in that they're not. If push comes to shove, you probably classify them as ground level players, but they can all sort of play as marking targets. I mean, look, what the opposition has to do with Collingwood is that they have to man up and apply pressure, of course. But it's funny, I'm watching Essendon and Collingwood and I've literally come to the point where I don't want Collingwood get to, getting the ball because they're just going to chip it and chip it and chip it. And I want Essendon to get a, get the ball because they are daringly handballing and running. So stark with the contrast between the two styles of play that one is enjoyable to watch and one is far less enjoyable to watch. Now, Collingwood advance by metres, not even, you know, it's a slow passage to goal. And I just don't think in the pressure cooker that becomes finals football that that currency is going to buy you very much. Uh, One word, do you give Essendon any chance against West Coast in the elimination final in Perth? Yes. Okay. 
Uh, all right, that's Friday night. Let's talk about Saturday. Okay, SCG, Saturday afternoon, one forty-five. Sydney and St Kilda, no bearing on the top eight, of course, but uh, a sentimental occasion with uh, farewells being bayed to both Jared McVeigh and Kieran Jack and Buddy Franklin's 300th game. So um, a, a nice occasion at the SCG and a good crowd for it too, 33,722. And they saw, in the end, a very comfortable win to the Swans, 17-7, 109, 45-point victors over the Saints, uh, who kept pace for a good half, but probably disappointing second half. 8-16, inaccuracy, plaguing the Saints again. 64, four goals to Buddy Franklin, three to Tom McCartan, two each to Kennedy, Papley and Barker. For the Saints, two to Bruce, two to Ross, singles the rest. Um, Probably fairly predictable in the finish finding. I thought St Kilda might give a better account uh, given that they got to half time with the scores level, but um, I suppose I don't know. Did Sydney have more to play for in an emotional sense, perhaps? Yeah, they did, and the crowd was there to see a show by Buddy and you know late goals to McVeigh and Kieran Jack capped off the party atmosphere. St Kilda true to form though. Have a look at the scoring shots in this game. You know to lose by forty three points and. Had one more scoring shot. It's fairly indicative of how St Kilda use the ball and then kick a goal. Many of these shots of goals were very easy for St Kilda and they just have a problem that they've got a lot of players in that team that are poor kicks and need to address that over summer, either through recruiting or through emphasis on working on those skills. But for the Swans, Kennedy has always been a thorn in St Kilda's side. That was once again the case. That was one of his better games this season. I reckon 32 he ended yeah, up with. Good. McCartan was interesting. He went off early with a cork thigh. It looked like his day was done. Came back to kick goals, which was, again, a, a, a slight on St Kilda because they really you know, had a semi-immobile forward take the game away from them in the third quarter. But, Haven't they finished the season... Um, with a lot of positivity compared to even, I don't know, I, I reckon like six weeks ago I was thinking, yep. oh, gee, you haven't got a lot to look forward to. But not just him. I know, and I know people have talked about this guy a lot. Jordan Dawson, though, he's very, yeah, he very... talked about a lot, Jordan Dawson. Yeah, he's impressive, though. He's, he's a good player. I, I, I am very impressed with Robottom. Yeah, yeah, no, same. Yeah, same. He was, he, one piece of play where he was tackled and had the strength to handball clear to... Uh, to facilitate a very easy Swans goal was great. But I really like him. He knows where the goals are, Ray Bottom. He's a good player. I think Florent has continued to grow. We haven't really seen Hayward. He's been injured. Yeah, yeah. obviously the standout is Blakey. Mm. He's an exciting prospect. They're interesting. They've got some very good young talent and some ageing talent that needs to be accounted for in the next couple of years. Well, speaking of ageing talent, um, I reckon the Saints would have been most pleased with Dan Hanabry, wouldn't they? I thought oh, gee, He's been good every time he played. He, yeah. is, he is the user. He has the instinct and the ball skill, the usage ball skill to elevate St Kilda, whereas all the rest, you know, they try hard, but they, they really do fluff their Well, ways. I was going to say, Hanabry had 28. Is this a difference, you've just pointed out, to him and... The three following three blokes, each of whom ended up with 27 disposals, Dunstan, Ross and Steele. Yeah, of course. Clear difference. Mm. Clear difference. Yeah, so what does St Kilda do with these guys? Do they go, we've got to be better than that and look elsewhere, or do they try and make them better? Um, I think for Dunstan and Ross and Steele, they're all, Steele's had a very good year. He leads the competition in tackles. 
He's a good player as a run-with player, and he gets the ball. So I think he's had a very good season. What about Dunstan? Because every time I see him... He was off the radar, and he's improved a lot. I reckon he's all right. Yep. I think Ross is a tradable commodity to mine. He's a a good player. Good clubman, too. Yeah, and he would command a fair price, either through trade for draft pick or, or for a player. But if St Kilda is looking to improve in an area where they're deficient... They might have to release such a player. So is it fair to say, do you think the Saints, uh, in terms of deficiencies, it's more about skills and mm, structure yeah. than personnel? Yeah, look, they win ball. They get Look, St Kilda is, apparently, they've already, though unofficial, added Zach Jones for next season, and he'll provide some speed. Oh, yeah. Um, Bradley Hill is expected to end up at St Kilda. You can start seeing a change in the St Kilda team through those two additions. Stephen will go. Mm, definitely, you reckon? Yeah. yeah. People are talking about it like it's a given. Oh, yeah, it is a given. But St Kilda will pick up Charlie Constable probably coming back, which mm. may again help that midfield. Might arrest the slide. Might yeah. arrest the slide. Sorry, I'll just uh, <laughs> throw that in there. The interesting team for me are the Swans, because they, with a bit of, uh, you know, a bit of list management, they could again be ready, not just to assault the eight next year, but to put themselves in a position to be in the eight for years to come. Well, I find them like Hawthorne. You know, I mean, they, those two teams and Geelong are sort of, you know, perennials. Been the perennials of the last 10 years. Yeah. And it just seems like every time you're just about ready to go, yeah, they're in for a down period, something happens which makes you think otherwise. So um, there, there is lot, certainly... Plenty of light at the end of a tunnel for them. But I, and with those youngsters, don't forget Alir Alir is a very good footballer. Oh, absolutely is. All right, that's enough on that game. Let's head down to Hobart. Okay, Bluntstone Arena, 2.10 Saturday afternoon, North Melbourne taking on Melbourne. And it was a thriller. Nothing riding on this game in top eight terms again. But uh, reasonable game to watch, pretty mistake-prone, but it was exciting and it certainly had a thrilling finish. North Melbourne, five-point victors in the end. 13-10, 88, defeating Melbourne, 12-11, 83. Two goals to Jack Zubel, two to Jared Pollock, two to Garner, two to Brown, who temporarily had a six-goal lead in the Coleman medal after this game. Two to Higgins, including the match winner for Melbourne. Three to Fritch, three to Gorn, Two to Melksham and singles the rest. Well, it was a nip and tuck affair, Finey. Five four each at three quarter time. Best quarter of the game, the third. Half time, wasn't it? Five four each. What did I say? I I meant half time, sorry. Uh, Best quarter of the game, the third term. Five five, the Ruse, and uh, six straight to the Demons. and uh, anyone's game at that stage, North Melbourne finishing slightly the stronger. Although, I mean, the Dees still have the lead with, uh, gee, probably not much more than a minute to play. Really bad turnover, unfortunately, from uh, Nathan Jones in the middle of the ground. North Melbourne found Sean Hingards, who made no mistake, and uh, that put him six points up. Melbourne still with a chance. Alex Neil Bullen uh, surging into the 50 hit the post uh, on the bounce with nine seconds of play remaining, and that was the end for the Demons. Farewell games for uh, two stalwarts from either side. Scotty Thompson for the Roos, well played to him, a fine career. And uh, Jordan Lewis, of course, obviously, mostly with the Hawks. 
but are warriors both, and uh, we paid we paid our respects to them. Max Gorn, prolific again, 26 disposals, three goals, so some scoreboard pressure too, 10 clearances and 41 hitouts. Bailey Fritch, Demons would be pretty pleased with uh, what he's shown of late, three goals to him, and took an absolutely ripping uh, mark on the unfortunate Scotty Thompson's shoulders in the opening term. Higgins, as usual, 34, used them all well. Jared Pollock, I think, has been uh, very, very solid for the Roos, 29 for him. Oliver, 33 for the Ds, 32 to Harms. But you no know, escaping the fact that uh, preliminary finalist of last year has ended up second last on the ladder with only five wins, a shocking downturn finding. Yeah, just quickly for North Melbourne, uh, you know, through a hot or not, Last week, you'd know that I'm a big fan of Jared Pollock, and he's rounded out a really good season, hasn't he? I think yep. underrated for how well he's gone this year. No, I rate him. The Demons, it almost would have been a, a, a miscarriage of justice had they had a win in the final game of the season and travelled back to Melbourne happy because they should be really a lot of introspection, a lot of self-examination and questioning of where it went wrong and whether or not player by player, was I the one responsible for taking things for granted? Did I, as part of the list, uh, go early on our ability and what it takes to be a a finals team? Because it was almost a given at the start of the year that they were going to play finals. The question was, could they improve enough to play in a grand final? Well, it's a tough comp. It's an even comp. And I think there are quite a few players there that just took it for granted that they were part of a good team and then it adds up to a really disappointing season. No doubt. I mean, there's been an undercurrent of laziness about the way they've played. I did point out on Twitter, I haven't got it with me, unfortunately, but I think uh, there were eight losses by, uh, was it under 30 points? You know, so for a team that finished second last on the ladder one five, they were unusually competitive. They got blown away, I think, twice. Um, so you look at that and you think it won't take that much to turn around. It'll, when you say that much, you're talking about personnel or or structure. Um, it'll take a fair bit in terms of attitude, but you know if they're any if they're worth anything at all, surely they get really stung by how this whole year has panned out. And I'm talking about coaches and administration as well as players, and uh, they hit this pre-season like balls at a gate because they've got a real point to prove. Well, they don't start next year unfit, as was the suggestion at the start of this year, which is inexcusable. Yeah. What about the Roos? I wonder, I mean, yeah, it's been a pretty bright second half of the season for them under Roos Shaw. Um, I must admit, look, I, I really rate the Roos. I thought I tipped them to make the eight this year. I still look at them, though, and think, you know, gee, they're solid and they can play some good footy. I think there's a definite limit though on how good they can be I'm trying trying to they definitely need a couple more midfielders I think yeah the big plus this year was the arrival of Larky yep we were questioning early whether or not Ben Brown could function as a one out forward his early output wasn't great and the arrival of Larky both as a goal kicker and as another source of uh, focus of attention for Tor Backman in the opposition really helped Ben Brown so that was a plus Sean Higgins hasn't recommitted to North Melbourne yet. They would be it'd be devastating for them to lose their classiest player, which, given his age, shows exactly where their vulnerability lies. Whether they can develop 
classy midfielders from the draft or they need to go and trade for them. Either way, I agree with you that there is a ceiling to North Melbourne that is well below the top four without an improvement to their midfield. Uh, probably after a key defender too with Scotty Thompson giving it away, although, you know, fingers crossed, Majak Dor can Correct. hopefully have a, a massive pre-season and come out and sort of fulfil that promise that he really was showing last year. Okay, enough on that game. The Twilight game on Saturday was at the Cattery. And a very comfortable win indeed to the Cats, who uh, retook top spot on the ladder with this big victory. 19 goals, 15, 129. 68-point winners over the Blues, 8-13. 61, and look, to be honest, finally, this game was uh, over very, very early. In fact, it was already 51 points of difference at halftime and 12 goals to three. Didn't hurt the Cats that they got to kick with the breeze for three quarters because um, pretty mild first term, and then uh, the conditions got nasty and the breeze did a complete 180, and they kicked with it for the entire first half, um, which doesn't hurt. Um, Paddy Dangerfield, terrific game from him again. Huge Brownlow chance, has to be for a second Brownlow. He'd had 18 disposals to half time, finished with 34, 12 clearances, and a cool four goals, three. One of his best individual games for the Cats, no doubt. Gary Ablett. Uh, there's been moments in the second half of the season where you're worried about Gaza, but uh, this was a turn-back-the-clock effort, 28 and three goals for him. What I like most about it, finally, was that forward pressure was back, and that was a, a key element of the good footy they were playing in the first half of the season. And it was back, namely through the likes of uh, Luke Dalhouse, who also kicked three goals. Importantly, just as importantly, had nine tackles. So great game by him. And we said a few weeks back, they really need a bit more spark and X-factor. Quinton Narkel is giving that to them in spades. Now, we're not going to see Nakia Cocker too because he's, uh, and this is pretty worrying on his part, um, hurt a hammy again after in a VFL comeback. But Narkel has been really good since he came back into that side. And he ended up with 27 disposals and looked really dangerous. For the Blues, it was a bit of a... Um, Sort of back to where you were performance for them. Paddy Cripps, bit of a lone hand, 35 disposals, 13 clearances for him. Uh, Ed Curnow battled manfully uh, on Joel Selwood. It's interesting that he went to Selwood, actually, because I think Selwood's been pretty quiet by Selwood standards. Um, Surprised he didn't go to danger. Uh, Sam Walsh completed one of the great debut seasons with another 24 mature, cool-headed and very composed disposals and it was the last game of course for Daisy Thomas and a nice farewell for him as well. Just interesting to see Chris Scott again doing some manoeuvring and some potentially finals with the finals in mind changes to the structure of the Geelong team. Zach Tui played forward. Yeah, kicked a couple. Kicked a couple. Obviously the hope there is that he can also apply more forward pressure because I think that is an area that they're been concerned about. They've obviously asked Dalhouse to step up. His reputation is as a tackler, and he looked more invested in that. The three goals a bonus. Tom Stewart, such a good defensive. He, he sees the game much in the way that Boris Corrie Enright did throughout his career, and he really organises that defence beautifully. When he's on song, you can afford, I think, to have Zach Tui out of that back line, and that could be a very handy 
string to Chris Scott's bow. What do you say? Um, yeah, no, I agree. I'm wondering if the biggest plus for them was perhaps Reece Stanley not only coming back but yes. playing really well. Yeah, they need they need Reece Stanley playing well because Zach Smith is exploitable, especially on the big MCG. I don't think that there was ever any, any intention to go with Zach Smith. So they needed Stanley in form, and this was a great tune-up. And for, How about Hawkins? For, for a massive assignment, too, obviously going to be taking on Brody Grundy, the yep. best ruck in the competition. And that was Reece Stanley's best game this year, by the way, mm. when he took on Brody Grundy. In oh, and round, that was round one, wasn't yeah, it? And, yeah, and he won that, and Geelong subsequently won the game. Yeah. Hawkins? Yeah, very quiet. Um, well, they need... This is where Radagalera has got to sort of give him more than he's giving. I mean, Tomahawk needs that key position support. And yep. This is why, for much of the second half of the season, they've, they've sort of looked more the Geelong of the previous couple of seasons. Now, getting back that sort of ground-level forward pressure really helps, but, gee, another aerial target would help too, and... Don't get me wrong. Uh, don't get me wrong. I, I like Radagalia, but you know he he just has trouble sort of staying in games. You know he does disappearing acts and then he'll bob up in, in little cameos. It's got to be a, a consistent effort to take some of the heat off the veteran who has had a great season. But they need they need all these pieces coming together. I think to really be a key September player. You know what? It's going to be a potentially. Incredible finish to the Brownlow medal this year because we expect a very close vote. Mm. Have a look at this final round. Uh, Dangerfield and Paddy Cripps both right up there in the reckoning. Yeah. But probably best and second best on ground in this game. What about uh, Bontempelli? Bontempelli. Lockie Neal had 51 touches today. Yeah. Grundy, if the Ruckman gets looked on favourably, was best on ground. Yeah. Could be a very exciting... Way to culminate the brown Actually, that's good, isn't it? Because mo- have most of them in recent years sort of been decided before the last round? Oh. Yeah, oh, we've had some red hot favourites and win comfortably in recent years, but not this year. And it could, if it goes down to the wire, there's plenty of votes that the stars are up for, you know, likely to get in round 23. Okay, quick word on the Blues. Would be wrapped post the appointment of David Teague, not as permanent coach, but when he took over the reins, he'd be mm. delighted. Yeah, if you go back to where they were after the loss to Essendon and uh, the sacking of Bolton, I mean, their, their stocks look so much better, don't they? Yeah, they welcome back their big forward, Charlie Kernow, next year. They hope to get a... We can't count anything as a given when somebody's missed two years in a row, but if Sam Doherty can return to football... Mm. In a meaningful manner, they add a wonderful leader and a very good footballer to their back line. And they're in the running for Canilio. You could really see them with Canilio being a finals team. Do you reckon, um, just another one that's bobbed up in recent weeks, DeLuca, do you reckon he's part of their best 22? Or is the jury still out on that, do you think? When you want to become a finals eight team, there's some harsh realities, and that is that some of the brave soldiers that got you off the bottom will not be part of the best 22 that plays finals football. Mm. Now, he's only a recent addition, but he would be in that category of somebody that's really helped them through out of the lean times, but maybe not good enough to be somebody to help them into a finals position and a winning finals position. All right, enough from the Cattery. Let's head up to the Gold Coast. Okay, well, this was always going to be a spanking, and so it proved. It took a while to... Um Spank in. On, uh, I don't know what word I was looking for there. But in the end, a massive win to the Giants. 
20 goals, 7, 127, 72 point winners. Over the poor old Suns, their 18th defeat in a row, 7 goals, 13, 55. Nine goals to Jeremy Cameron, thus taking out the Coleman medal. And um, wasn't quite there at half time, but gee, kicked into gear in a third, massive third term. Uh, nine goals to Cameron, three to Lloyd, two to Hill, two to Kelly. Uh, for the Suns, about the only bright spot in this miserable run of losses, uh, Ben King, been pretty impressive. Three goals for him and two to Alex Sexton. This game was all over very, very early in the piece. Um, well, actually, no, it wasn't because Gold Coast got within 10 points early in the third quarter. I was uh, flicking between the two games and I'm thinking, how is this happening? Um, I guess you could argue it's a bit of an indictment on them, but they've got within 10 points early in the third quarter and still lost by 72. Yeah. You know, when I was coming in to do this podcast, I was flicking stations, and I got onto a station that's not an AFL station particularly, and they were going through the scores, and when the host read out the score to this game, he just observed, and as a non-AFL person, what's this team doing in the competition? I heard they want to put Tasmania in in three years. Why are they waiting? Why are they... Putting us, why are they putting fans through the pain of having to watch this mob? They're terrible. And I found myself sort of feeling defensive about Gold Coast for the first time in my life and thinking, give them a go. And they need to be given a better opportunity at life than they're currently being given. We look back at the Brisbane Bears, not the Lions, and all the errors that were made, all the underfunding, the poor facilities, the lack of uh, support from the local community that was there undoing and incredibly it seems like we've gone down the same path again i can't believe what well, begs the question doesn't it how could we have done that after correct. setting up so many clubs correct and the the question is not what they've been given in terms of draft choices player retention etc why do they lose so many players why has it become such an unfashionable destination for a footballer and apparently the off-field facilities the level of staffing off-field the quality of staffing is substandard. Now, the AFL need to address this because this is a team that is part of the competition and I think the bill's well over $100 million that's been put into them already. Well, you don't just throw that away. And at the moment, we have a team that is so far behind the other 17 that it becomes an embarrassment, it becomes a fixturing problem, and most importantly... It is unfinancial and unsustainable. Well, it becomes a support problem, and I'm looking at the official crowd figure of 7,610. There's no way it could be true. true. It it did look like there were two men and a dog They were counting fingers. Well, yeah. No, I mean, if that that was really the case, I'm I'm staggered. But um, it was quite sad. I mean, I saw the the scene pre-game. Someone tweeted a picture, uh, sort of big, uh, a long shot, and there was just no one there um yeah no look whatever assistance they end up getting and obviously they're going to get some uh it's got to be really meaningful and it's got to be sustained I, th- I think they're sort of they're in the position now really that say sydney were in in you know uh at the end of 1992 or 93 and that doesn't mean they need a ron barassi type figure to go up there as coach um, but uh, look, frankly, I'm, I'm glad it's not me sort of trying to resurrect their fortunes because you really don't know where to start. Clearly, it's not just about players because what good are, uh, is having access to good players if they're just going to up and leave after a couple of years? It has to be a desirable place to play football. And 
we're at the crossroads. This team cannot afford to have another year like this one or the previous because there'll be no coming back. Everybody will want to go. Nobody will want to support them. And with with Tasmania written into the future of AFL football, there's going to be a pretty simple equation. Okay, quick uh, word on on the Giants. They're playing finals. They're playing in their, what, uh, fourth consecutive final series. Uh, Don't get the double chance this time. Uh, and and they, play, they played the team that taught them a lesson last week. Yeah, correct. Well, and that knocked them out of grand final contention in their first finals appearance too. So there's a bit of a bit of history. Yeah, look, I mean, it was a good confidence build of it, but they'll have to play better still, won't they, to beat the side they're yeah. up against? Yeah, I mean, the week off may do them some good. But obviously, Toby Green comes back into the team, and he's been their best player this year. And they'll just see what sort of team they can assemble to take on probably the form team of the competition. Yep. All right, that's enough. Behind Richmond, behind Richmond. That's enough on that one. Let's go to Perth. All right, massive ramifications out of this game. Optus Stadium on Saturday evening, and uh, what a magnificent win for the Hawks. And I will have a bit to say about the Hawks uh, a little bit later on, but uh, let's talk about this game in detail. And a thumping win in the end, 38 points, 16 goals, 9, 105, defeating a terribly disappointing West Coast, 9, 13, 67. Four goals to O'Brien, three to the ageless Sean Burgoyne, three to Bruce and two to Gunston. Four, the Eagles, three to Rioli, two each to Kennedy, Darling and Ryan. Hawks got on the front foot, finally, and um, you knew it was game on. They kicked, I think, the first three goals. Uh, Eagles hit back, um, managed to uh, hit the front by quarter time with four quick goals of their own. But the Hawks just seized the initiative again. Uh, at one stage, had kicked in a run of six goals, had kicked five of them. They slowed the Eagles' ball movement brilliantly. And West Coast were desperate to move the ball on them. They just weren't allowed to do it. They had nowhere to go. They were forced wide. Um, and uh, Dewey turned it over. Another brilliant coaching performance from Alistair Clarkson just goes with the territory with him. But the scope of this about facing both teams' fortunes, I mean, at the end of round 20, Hawthorne were two wins outside the eight and 10% behind Adelaide, who are in eighth spot. And West Coast, um, after round 21, were eight points clear in the top four and um, 3.1% clear of fifth place. They've lost a double chance, and the Hawks, temporarily at least, were inside the eight. Uh, massive game from them. Chad Wingard. Oh, he was great. Oh, more on him later. But he was he was a spark, wasn't he? Yep, 28 uh, disposals, 10 inside 50s for yep. him. Henderson uh, finished the season the way he started it, really. 25 disposals for him, 27 for O'Meara. For the Eagles... Um, gee, their forward entries were ugly and rushed and under pressure. Andrew Gaff had 37, but uh, other than that, the midfield got well and truly spanked, I thought. And um, Gee, what a yeah, what a turnaround. I thought, here's a side that is going to win a premiership. They didn't look like it uh, on Saturday evening. You know what they say, when you play over in Perth, if you can possibly orchestrate a good start to keep the crowd out of the game, it goes a long way to winning the game. And that three goals really had the team Eagles on the back foot and the crowd quiet. And then uh, uh, they put themselves in the game but were quickly extinguished by that run of five goals out of six. 
And they started getting a bit nervous, didn't they? A bad error by Barras in the back line. He was em- a mistake-prone couple of weeks. He was embarrassed, not yeah. T-barrassed. Yeah. And O'Brien was a good target. Yeah. You know, we questioned whether or not there was wisdom in not having Mitch Lewis and not playing Roughhead. And you asked the question whether or not they had a target up forward. But O'Brien proved great value. As we said, Wingard was fantastic. And finally, in the last quarter where the crowd was hoping rather than expecting a comeback, they were quickly extinguished. Bruce showed his value around goals. And in the end, it was sweet mercy for Eagles that the siren went because there was no way they could win that game of football. And I reckon, I mean, surely all the Eagles' finals opponents, not that they wouldn't have known this anyway, but they'd be studying the footage pretty closely, I reckon. I mean, just the way... Pressure the midfield. Yeah, and and just push up, push up, push up, deny them space, make sure... Even things like manning the mark, you know, everything they did was under pressure. They had no room to move, and they they crave room, don't they, the Eagles? Yeah, they look, their game is reliant on movement by kicking the ball, and... You're right, if you close down that kicker, either on the mark or just get in their face, it's a lot harder to execute ball skills Mm. when you've got somebody running at you and applying that pressure. And that was at the source of the turnovers that in the end absolutely crueled the West Coast Eagles. I've got to say, I was really impressed by Wingard. The reason he's he's a good footballer at his very best for Port Adelaide there was questions whether he was a forward or a midfield because he used to go in the midfield and be brilliant at clearances. And, mm. and again, he pushed up out of the 50 and was a brilliant player. And what a, I feel for Hawthorne, and this will be part of what's coming up in Hot or Not as well, unfortunately that win, because of the order of games, almost denied them a spot in the eight. And I think it's very unfair. Uh, just on Wingard too, I mean, he, he did say uh, he, his last season with Port Adelaide, he felt his form turned around when he became predominantly a midfielder. I mean, it, it, it's a familiar story, isn't it, guys? There's a lot of midfielders around and, and blokes who end up playing too well in a, a small forward role sort of get typecast and don't get the midfield minutes they crave. And, um, yeah, look, uh, I'll tell you, uh, Hawthorne, well, I'll be talking about them a bit later on as well. But, um, you know, the midfield's looking better. You've got Tom Mitchell coming back. Um, they just, uh, they're not... Well, if they got Coniglio, Coniglio, how good would they be? Well, they're not going anywhere, I'll tell you that. All right, big win for the Hawks in Perth, uh, which meant it all came down to three games on Sunday. Mars Stadium, Ballarat, the venue for the Western Bulldogs and Adelaide. The Bulldogs needing to win to secure their finals berth. The Crows needing to win by 95 points, I think the equation was. So they were uh, pretty much out of running before the ball was bounced. And that, sadly, is how the game panned out. Uh, Big win to the Bulldogs, always in control. 18 goals, 13, 121 34-point victors over the Crows, who finished better than they started, it's fair to say. 13-9, 87. Five goals to Bailey Dale. Real surprise packet up forward he's been. Two each to Lipinski, Lloyd, McLean and Shackey. For the Crows, five goals to skipper Taylor Walker. Two each to Jones, Lynch and 
nice. But finally, this game uh, was basically over in 18 minutes, by which time the Bulldogs had slammed on the first five goals of the game. Uh, and from that perspective, actually, you look at the final margin and think, well, you know, at least Adelaide didn't completely turn it up. But, um, you know, I, I guess there wasn't much motivation for them there, was there, really? Uh, the Bulldogs were 40 points up by the 24-minute mark of that first term. From there, pretty much sort of even Stephen from that moment on. Um, Matt Crouch, 47 disposals for the Crows. How much effect do they have, though? You've got to ask that question. Rory Sloan, 34 for them. And for the Doggies, uh, again, players just getting weather poisoning. Jack McRae, 36. Josh Dunkley, 33. Uh, Bontempelli, 31. Lockie Hunter, 30. Uh, yeah, oh, actually, I'll hold this one back. Another observation on the Crows, but uh, I'll deal with that later. What do you make of this one? How would you be if you're a Hawthorne supporter? You've um, come off the high of that great win the night before against the West Coast Eagles. You've had your Sunday lunch and you sit down, hoping, knowing it's an unlikely result, but hoping that Adelaide can somehow summons the intestinal fortitude to get a win and allow you to play finals football that you feel you probably deserve on the back of that great win. Well, at least you didn't have to wait long to know whether or not Adelaide were going to play ball because they simply didn't engage in the first quarter. By the time Bontempelli stepped around a crow or two to kick the fifth goal of the game, it was five goals, one to, what, three inside 50s to the opposition? Well, the first quarter, 11 scores to two. You know, it could have been worse than it was, really, when you look at the inaccuracy. I think it's a fair question to ask what Crouch does with those 47 possessions because they were getting chewed up around the clearances, the Adelaide Crows. Anything meaningful was going the Bulldogs' way. Norton was powerful in the air, didn't hit the scoreboard, but Bailey Dale did. Lipinski's good for a couple of goals every game now. And and fortunately for the Adelaide Crows, or Walker later on in the game got some second-half goals. But their forward line is such a mess, it, mm. you know, when it matters. Because they really don't have... Eddie Betts doesn't have any ball retention ability. Taylor Walker doesn't. His, his opponent strolls off him. There's not enough players in that Adelaide forward line that keep the ball there for enough time. In the modern game, isn't that a, a key component to winning games of football? There's something There's something obviously wrong in their psyche, uh, you know, in terms of a team, a, a unified, committed team. They're, they're just not. They're not desperate. They're not, a, they're not a frenetic, desperate team. When they win, they seem to have long strings of impressive play, but I, I just can't remember a lot of high-pressure wins in the style of, obviously we talk about Richmond, but even in the style of, say, Essendon when they're on song, that mm. it just becomes hard to play against them. Well, two years ago, like a lot was made about their runoff half-back, and, and that is true to a point, but the fact remained, two years ago, they got the vast bulk of their scores was based around... Uh, forward half turnovers and that I think is the thing that has most conspicuously disappeared from their game and well we know Charlie Cameron was very good it was, he ended up being a far bigger loss than a lot of people thought and Eddie Betts's you know sort of gradual decline um, has also contributed to it when I ask you this about the Bulldogs there's a bit of sort of irony going on because the pre-finals buy I think benefited them obviously in 2016 yes. 
I look at it now and I think, who would least like the buy now? And I suspect it's them, given the sort of red-hot form they're in. Yeah, I agree. They're they're not welcoming back any players. I I just think the buyers are... are, Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. It's my... It's my piece oh, of madness at the end of the yeah, program. Yeah, okay, all right, but, so I won't steal your thunder. No, yeah. but what, I'm, what we can talk about it in as much that it, it's a roulette wheel spin, whether it, you know, some teams will be favoured by it, some teams will be hobbled by it. It, it devalues the work that's done over 22 games and six months preceding it. But why, why have this moment this week where for some teams they'll be fortuitous, but based on nothing other than just how the stars align. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. If the top team's got some small advantage compared to the others in the eight, mm. there would be a logical process there. But this has no bearing. It, it What it depends on is your state of your injury list and the level of momentum you have going into the final. And there's some argument that actually disadvantages teams that finish top four. Now, we've had three seasons of it, so there's been six qualifying final winners Three of them have ended up losing their preliminary finals, and three have won. So I guess mm. that it's about a fifty-fifty split. But very different to the percentages prior. Um, yes, yes, definitely. And um, you know, you, you, we have had examples. It's the fact that you end up those qualifying final winners end up playing one game of football over a twenty-seven or twenty-six day period. Right. It's not enough. Uh, anyway, it's, that's a, a longer argument for another day. But uh, Bulldogs. Buys and, and whatever aside, uh, are they a serious premiership contender? No, not this year. And I think they can beat GWS, but there's some teams in that top four that even with a loss, you know, will get a home final the week after and be very hard to beat. What they are, though, is well-placed for the future because when you look at the ages of some of their star turns this year, you're very bullish about what the years ahead promise and we're talking about a key forward Norton we're talking about the first ruck English we're talking about a great find in Bailey Smith and a lot of other players like Dunkley and McRae and Hunter and Bontempelli who are very much in the early prime of their careers Mm. yeah no no I agree all right enough from Mars Stadium let's head to the MCG and the big one between Richmond and Brisbane all right, massive game, this one at the G. And what a fantastic crowd. I believe the biggest crowd ever for a home and away game involving a uh, one non-Victorian team and a Victorian team in Melbourne. 76,995 people turned up at the MCG. Uh, Richmond needing a win to uh, get that double chance and top four spot. Brisbane, uh, I guess the... Equation wasn't so demanding of them. They just had to avoid getting smashed. I think had they lost by 63 or 64-odd points, they would have lost that home final chance. Um, As it happened, uh, pretty respectable, even though they didn't lose the game. They didn't win the game, sorry. So that winning run of nine came to an end. Tigers, very impressive when they had to be. In the end, a 27-point win, 12 goals, 10, 82 Defeating Brisbane, 8-7-55. Four goals to Jack Rewalt, two to Lambert, two to Dusty Martin. For Brisbane, the only multiple goal kickers, Cameron, two, and Zorko, two. Well, finally, if there's a finer uh, 10 minutes of footy played this season than what Richmond played in the first 10 minutes of this game, 
it'll be pretty good to watch because they were absolutely red hot. They were 25 points up by the 21-minute mark of this game. It was the way they were winning the ball out of the centre, though. Dustin Martin and uh, Dion Prestia and in that first 15-odd minutes, absolutely on fire. Yeah, this was a statement for a team that didn't know whether or not they could reach second, but knows that they were going to meet Brisbane in the finals. This was a statement. But the response by Brisbane was excellent. You have to find your feet in a game of football, and this game of football started all Richmond, but Brisbane finally planted their feet into the game. Zorko was excellent. Lockie Neal started winning clearance ball and plenty of it. McInerney was a bit of a target up forward, and Richmond's Achilles heel are tall forwards, no question. As good as Grimes and Asprey are, they're not really tall men. And uh, if you can get the ball in the air in their forward line, they are susceptible. And they got within seven points, but then Richmond again showed their true worth as a premiership contender. That to me, were, sorry to chip in, that to me was the most significant sort of 10 minutes of the match because the, the Lions were definitely coming. But you could almost see Richmond go up a cog in terms of the pressure they applied Absolutely. again. Absolutely. They lifted. They worked incredibly hard to create the spare man. And their, their couple of goals coming forward were were just beautifully worked. That, that piece of play that resulted in Lynch marking and kicking mm. his first goal of the game was telling because it was gut running and just there was no way Brisbane were able to resist the flood of Richmond players providing options. So Richmond for a short period became that kicking passing team that they are not necessarily known to be, but they can do it. Mm. Lambert, a beautiful goal just before three-quarter time, again showing his worth. But the match decider... That goal by Dustin Martin yes. in the last quarter. The ball comes to him, if you didn't see it. And it is best described as there is one man in AFL football who could do what he did. I'm not saying there's, he's the only one who could have kicked a goal, but to kick a goal would have required a miracle for others. He almost made it regulation because he was able to repel two desperate Fitzroy tacklers with strength, and with the short, you know, with you the don't Fitzroy. argue. Did you mean to say Fitzroy? No, I meant Lions, sorry. <laughs> but two Lions defenders, you know, besieged him. Yeah. And he was going backwards, but he still had enough core strength to repel them. That's why I love him. Uh, I love watching him. It's the combination of power and grace. Yeah. There, is a, there was a gracefulness about the way he took the chance. Yeah. He was never going to miss it once he got clear. And brute strength and power in the way he burst clear of those tackles. And I made a note of it because, yeah, it was like the last five, ten minutes of the third quarter, they really went up a cog, tightened up defensively and said to the Lions, right, okay, boys, you've had your fun, stops here. Yeah. And then the, you know, who would seize the initiative at the start of that last quarter? And Dusty made sure it was the Tigers. And look, Fitzroy, uh, Fitzroy I'll, I'll stop it. <laughs> The Lions kept at them. I thought Mitch Robinson was fantastic. He was certainly instrumental in guaranteeing they didn't get to 10 goals ahead. So it's a great question that we now pose. Did Richmond do enough to impress, say, upon you, Rowan, that they can go to the Gabba and be the first team ever to beat the Lions in a final at the Gabba? Uh, yes, they did, and and just on that, yeah, it's a it's an imposing record, isn't it? Twelve. I yep. didn't realise they played twelve finals at the yeah. Gabba, and they've won every single one of them. Who pushed them closest, Finey? 
Essendon? Yes, 1996, Gavin Wanganane steps in a pothole in the goal square mm. and hits a post. I mean, I, was, I went to a Gabba final against the Saints, never never got even close. Oh, yeah, no, I remember that one. Yeah, no, I, I was at that one I'm talking about. Um, yes, I do give him a chance. And look, I mean, it's it's a different it's a different playing field, uh, literally and metaphorically. Um, but yeah, I, I think they're good enough. And I think, uh, you know, the cards have fallen for them too, I think, with West Coast being knocked out of the top four. And it's taking nothing away from Brisbane. I think Brisbane will give a really good account of themselves, but I just think Richmond are too good for them. There was one bit of concern for the Brisbane Lions heading into the finals, and that was the way that Jack Rewalt destroyed Adams early in the game and a player that had built his confidence up because he said in the paper this week that he had no confidence and didn't believe he was good enough to be a a senior AFL key defender. Well, he looked like that sheepish, you know, confidence-shredded footballer after 20 minutes and Mm. then went on to make a couple of blues and they're going to have to build up his self-esteem ahead of the finals. Yeah, it's an interesting one for them. Uh, it's, it's probably, I don't think they were getting ahead of themselves by any means. Uh, incidentally, quick word on Lockie Neal, 51. Um, that would put him in the, well, I think, top 10, surely, disposal yeah. winners in a game in history. I, th- I think there's been eight. It's been done maybe nine times now. Quite a three few times, recently. Yeah, well, well, three times by Tom Mitchell last year. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and uh, Ablett, Dane Swan, I think, have both had 53. Yeah. Peter Featherby had I reckon Peter Featherby. No, had, no he had, he's had the most kicks. He had like forty. Ah, kicks. right. Okay, yeah. So they're all a lot of handballs. They're all of a recent vintage. Yep. Did it feel like no? No, it didn't feel like he had that well, much influence. As the countdown began towards the end of the game, can he get to fifty? He was on forty-eight, and the same piece of play got him to fifty-one. Yeah, but they didn't move the ball. They only moved the ball twenty meters. Yeah, you know, it was handball, handball back, short kick, handball back. Okay, he's a great little footballer, but that that little passage tells you that you know there might be more to the numbers than the actual importance on the game. All right, last uh, one on this. Uh, Richmond, in your eyes now, unbackable flag favourites? They're my tip to win the flag. Are they unbackable? No, because... It's a tough game yeah, first well, up. As I reminded you last week, you know, something can go wrong on the day, can't it? Well, it's a tough, as they remember from last year. Yeah. And that's a tough first game up in Brisbane. Yeah, it is. It is. And Brisbane would have got enough out of this game with the comeback from that early blitz to back to within a goal. They'll work that through their positive coach into a positive that they will take into the game in a fortnight. Yep. All right, uh, that is 197 home and away games we have now reviewed on this podcast. Let's now review the 198th and final home and away game of 2019. Final game of round 23 and a big win to Port Adelaide in a relatively meaningless scrap against Fremantle at Adelaide Oval. Final scores, Port Adelaide 15-20, 110-43-point victors over Frio, 10-7-67. Three goals to Charlie Dixon, two to Marshall, two to Rosie Holotta, two to Dersma, and for the Dockers, three goals to Michael Walters, two to Langdon in what you'd say is probably his last game for the club, singles the rest, and a uh, fairly routine affair, finally, as it transpired. Oh, Freo got a reasonable start. Five goals in the first quarter. 
They then kicked a total of one for the next two quarters in typical Fremantle fashion, while Port Adelaide continued to put them on the board. Four goals for them in the second term, another four in the third quarter, and four goals each in the last quarter for a pretty easy win. Not a lot you can say about a game that had no bearing on anything. David Hale might put his hand down now for the Fremantle job. He was probably never a chance of getting it, but... He'll go in the record books as a one-game coach, I imagine. Yeah, Langdon played well. Brad Hill played well. That's no, um, that's no nothing that the Fremantle supporters can hang their head on. Pardon me, because of course they're probably not going to be there next season. I guess a little bit of uh, a, a painful end almost to the season for Port Adelaide in as much that Ollie Wines had his best game for the season but the season's now over and they can sit back and reflect on what may have been had Ollie Wines, such an important player for them, had a fair run with injuries this season. So ultimately, it turns out to be not only a game that frustrates the losers but maybe the frustrates the winners a little bit as well. Port Adelaide leave the season though I think roughly if it, at the start of the year when they embarked at, during the draft upon picking up youngsters and investing in the future, if you said that they'd go 50% and win 11 out of 22, I think that would have been a pass mark for the Port Adelaide Power. What do you reckon, Rowan? I think, I, I've got a feeling that this year, certainly not a wasted season in their development. No, well, you're at least going to look at the list and say there's some definite talents coming on. And the other difference this year is that they, last year, I'm pretty sure they didn't beat any top eight sides. They were the proverbial flat-track bullies, whereas this this season they knocked over a few, didn't they? They knocked over West Coast by seven goals yep. away. Um, who else did they beat? They beat up on Essendon a few weeks ago and also beat um, Geelong, uh, inflicted Geelong's first loss of the season. So we know at their best they're capable. It's just that perennial port problem of uh, channeling it uh, consistently. What do they need? Um, I mean, their ruck division is interesting now. They're going to get rid of Ryder. Uh, Laddams, I'm not convinced with. Lysette, again, I'm not convinced about. But uh, it looks like that's where they're headed. Probably key forwards, I reckon. You know, it's sort of Dixon or Bust, really, isn't it? Yep. Um, and they don't have, you know, now that Wingard's not there, they, they did sort of get away with having those medium-sized forwards for a while. I mean, Rob, Robbie Gray isn't getting any younger. Um but yeah, probably key support for Dixon. Uh, their midfield's interesting. I mean, Brad Ebert has been a factor in the second half of the season, so him sort of coming back next year helps. Having Wines fit obviously helps. I mean, they haven't haven't certainly haven't been helped by injury this year. Freo are the more interesting one, aren't they? Because they you're talking about, I, I reckon, a necessary revamping of a whole club, almost a whole culture. Um, and you know, you can sort of debate whether. Ross Lyon's scorched earth policy has sort of come home to roost again, but um, they've got some massive issues, haven't they? You know, look, if these players, as reported, are uh, getting up and leaving, they've finished 13th with a 9-13 record. It's just sort of more of the same for them, um, as has been the case now for four seasons. Look, they did have some cruel luck. Tabernas started the year promisingly, and Hogan was hitting his straps when he got injured. And at that point, they'd lost their two better forwards, I believe. Cam McCarthy's a bit of a bust, obviously. And they really had to go with a makeshift forward line with Cox and obviously the aforementioned McCarthy. 
with Hogan, they look like a much better team. Walters had a very good season. They got uh, 21 games, I think, out of five or thereabouts. And there's something there. They will have to move forward now. Hopefully they retain Sean Darcy because otherwise their ruck stocks become a problem with the retirement of Sanderlands. And they're going to have to build on that midfield, aren't they? But you'd rather be Port than Freo, wouldn't you? Oh, you'd rather be most teams than Freo. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Doesn't uh, a lot of hard thinking to be done over in the West over the southern months, southern months, summer months. It's been a long season, and that is every single home and away game now accounted for. Uh, let's talk about the highs and lows of the footy weekend on Footyology. Hot or not. Okay, then, I'm going to kick us off, and I'm kicking us off with the ageless and evergreen Sean Burgoyne, who this time next year will be 37. Uh, just operates on a year-to-year contract basis these days, Silk, but absolutely no question uh, he is deserving of another year and should go on for another year, even after 376 games. Didn't uh, have a whole heap of possessions against West Coast over in Perth, but three goals, all that nous, um, just class, you know. And in a, I guess a side that needs every bit of class it can get, he is still an absolutely valuable asset to the Hawks, certainly as a teaching tool, much in the same way Luke Hodge is now at Brisbane and was for the Hawks, but they need every bit of that they can get. And to have someone who's still... Uh, very much worth his place in the best 22 is is a real bonus. And, you know, yeah, okay, probably spends less time in the midfield, but they can use him anywhere. And you know you're going to get uh, decent use of the footy. You know you're going to get smart decisions. You know if it happens to be forward, he's going to bob up with a goal or two. Uh, he's just so durable. And, I, you know, he's a, he's a ripping bloke. Anyone who's had anything to do with him knows that. That's not why I'm making him a hot. But, you know, at that age that many miles under your belt and can't help but keep going back to the end of 2009 when Port Adelaide thought he was absolutely shot to ribbons and weren't too uh, disturbed by the prospect of him going to Hawthorne. Well, that one paid off pretty well. Three flags later and uh, another, what, 10 seasons of footy later, he's still going strong. It's remarkable given the... um, the toll that today's footy takes on the body and the mind as well. And uh, he's continuing to play great footy. So well done, Sean Burgoyne. Looking forward to watching you again next season. I remember when he went to Hawthorne, I was sure he was going there for one or two years. Yeah, it was 2010. His brother Peter had just retired and I thought he was in a similar sort of boat. Yeah. Weird. Not weird, just an outstanding career that, as you rightly point out, should continue. My first hot goes to another Hawthorne player. Another Hawthorne player from Port Adelaide. Ah, yes. Yeah. Now, look, Chad Wingard has copped some criticism in his first year at Hawthorne, and I've been questioning of his worth in terms of his commitment to football. He's never put himself out there as somebody who loves the game particularly, and he obviously has some structural issues, and Port Adelaide weren't too worried about letting him go. But he finishes the season exactly the way Hawthorne would have wanted him to present and ready for next year, I think, champing at the bit to prove Port Adelaide wrong and Hawthorne do them right because his game against West Coast in a must-win game of high-pressure football was perfect. He got out of the forward 50, he kicked valuable ball, he was a harasser and he's also very skillful. He's a one-touch player and at his best, don't forget, Chad Wingard is an all-Australian footballer and he showed that this weekend. 
Yeah, good call. Good call. Uh, a not for me next, and it's a pretty obvious one, but it goes to Adelaide. Two years now outside the finals after uh, losing a grand final and a season in which they were dominant and uh, probably over the course of the whole year played the best football. It has just fallen away incredibly. And people will look at that and they'll go, okay, well, two years can be a long time in footy. In some ways it is to the Crows, but I went through the lineup today, Finey. Today's side against the Western Bulldogs contained 16 players who played in the 2017 Grand Final. And if you add Brodie Smith, who would have played but for injury, 17 players. That is a complete indictment on that group of players. Uh, You can argue the coaching staff as well, because they don't seem to have done all that much to try to turn things around. There is something very, very wrong going on at Westlakes, um, and it's attitudinal, I think. They certainly don't want for ability. Seems remarkable now. Champion Data, in their prospectus this year, rated the Adelaide list the best in the competition. Seems laughable now, really, but in terms of pure football ability, they've got stacks of it. They just don't deliver consistently enough, and Nowhere is that epitomised more than in the form of the captain who, yeah, okay, kicked five goals today, but the leadership's been wanting, I think. Uh, Josh Jenkins out of the side again today, so it could have been 18 grand final players in that lineup. Uh, the forward line has lost all semblance of um, unity and uh, what's the word? It, it doesn't gel. They just look like a disparate group of players to the extent that the Crows, after being easily the high-scoring team of 2017, they're scoring about five goals a game less now than they were then. All that run they used to generate off half-back, it's gone. We see Rory Laird now pick up 30-plus possessions week in, week out, but not really have much impact. Ditto Matt Crouch, we talked about him before, 47 today. Where are they going? I think the um, picking up of Bryce Gibbs certainly hasn't worked. Uh, they're an old list. They're going to need major surgery, but I think the problems are deeper than that. There is clearly some disconnect between coach and players, and that that camp, and I know it's been talked about probably too much, but that clearly the cancerous effect of whatever happened there lingers. Um, this is a clearly unhappy group of players who are severely underperformed and a second season in a row of missing out in finals after the sort of football they were playing in 2017 is a shocking performance. Um, they've got, again, a lot of thinking to do over summer. You add up everything that you said there, and the next 48 hours would be a, a watch this space for Don Pike. I think they could be. I, w- I probably wouldn't have said that a couple of weeks ago, but I'm now thinking, you know, Jesus, they need some drastic action. My second hot or not is a not, and it's final round fixturing. In a cruel twist of fate, Hawthorne's brilliant win against West Coast almost consigned them to missing out on the eight, because it meant that Adelaide had to then go out and beat the West Coast Eagles. Uh, They beat the Bulldogs by 95 points to make the finals, and we talk about Adelaide being a fairly dispirited unit. Well, in the hands of that team, that was obviously a step too far, and they were, what, 31 points down before they scored? Gone at quarter time, 40 points down in the first quarter? In England, they take the integrity of the competition so seriously that the final round, all every, all games, 
and that is APL. You're talking about in the APL. All ten matches start at exactly the same time, and here, whilst logistically they may not be possible with grounds, all games that have a bearing on the eight or on positions in the eight, I believe, could start at the same time. Well, it is. It's all about the broadcasters, isn't it? I well, mean, stuff them. Yeah. Enough is, enough's enough. No, I know. I agree. And Wait, the, uh, dog wagging tail. Yeah, absolutely. a tail wagging dog. I should say. Absolutely. I mean, the the finals scheduling is more evidence of that. And it's you know the EPL. I guess could argue you know they get so much already from the TV rights, they they can afford to forgo a little more. But yeah, well, so is. should the AFL be able to say? Yeah, that. yeah. No, absolutely. It's a tail wagging the dog, and from an integrity point of view, what you're saying makes absolute sense. No, I, mean, I felt for Hawthorne, but we knew it was a fait accompli, wasn't it? Adelaide needed every incentive in the world to try, and yep. they didn't. Yep. No, r- very good call. Couldn't agree more. Uh, final hot for me, and it's Dion Prestia. Love this bloke. He's uh, been a fantastic pickup for the Tigers. There's always every chance he was going to be. He was good enough at Gold Coast, but he's had a fantastic season. Almost been undersold a little bit, I reckon. We don't tend to... I'm not sure we... Maybe I'm wrong, but it just doesn't seem to me like we talk about him in the same breath we talk about, you know, Martin, Koch and Rewalt, Rance, etc. But he's been pivotal to their improvement. And uh, unlike the last couple of years when there's been injury issues at some stage, he's had a perfect run at it this year and it's reflected in a, a really, really consistent season. 30 possessions again against Brisbane, 11 of them contested. He's averaging... 27.4 per game, and uh, he's, again, he's a bit like Martin in the way he's a, a beautiful balance of sort of, you know, nuggety, get in and get the footy and then use it um, seamlessly, and he's opening to that game today along with Martin was what gave Richmond the all-important jump on, on the lines. Just a, a terrific footballer who... I think still, uh, funnily enough, probably doesn't get the kudos he deserves and absolutely integral to their tilt at a second flag in three years. You know, when you look at the disaster that is the Gold Coast, have a look around the competition at Gold Coast players and that aren't there yeah. and how good they really are. Yeah. Well, I mean, right, well, right off the top of your head, you know, Prestia, Lynch, um, Saad. O'Meara. Yeah. I mean, you can... And there's others, but you can build a pretty good team. You've got Stephen May, of course, at his best, a very good player, and they're just everywhere, and unfortunately, that club was not able to retain them. And the reason behind that lack of retention needs to be the focus at the moment to save that club. I finished with a hot, and it's Geelong. You know what? They've just won the minor premiership. Mm. And three cheers, Geelong Football Club, because a lot of people, myself included, thought The McClellan that- Trophy. Do they still have it? Well, it's called the McClellan Trophy. But do they still have it? Yeah, okay. Okay. It used to be for younger fans, an an accruing of points from under-19s, reserves and seniors staggered with obviously the most value being senior points. But it was quite an interesting competition, always won by Richmond or North. So, well, in my day, anyhow. Did Essendon ever do well in it? No, I don't think so. No, Richmond and North were the ones. They really owned it, didn't they? Yeah. Well done, Geelong. Well, I thought it's fair to assume that with the emphasis on champions that were coming to an age where you thought that there would be a decline, and I think we've seen that a bit in Selwood, it was fair to say we thought at the start of the year that the returns would be diminished. And uh, I had them at the lowest point in the eight, that is eighth. 
Yeah, and so did I. And I, think. I thought I was being generous. I think I had a mate, so. You know, I only did that out of respect for the talent at the top end. But I didn't figure for uh, the arrival of a Myers, the absolute breakout year that Kelly had. And yes, Kelly was good last year, but this year has been uh, outstanding. The fact that Reese Stanley for most of the year was a good first ruckman and just the fact that Geelong has been throughout the year able to put a team on the field that has played good consistent football. Blitzhouse has had another good season. Tom Stewart remains rock solid in defence. Hawkins for the most part has been a good target. Radigalia, though not the made product, can provide headaches for the opposition. And look, well done to them. It's been a very even year, but they're top of the ladder. No, well done. Good call. And uh, on top for 20 of 22 games as yep. well. Uh, yep. Only lost it temporarily again last week. So, well done, Cats. Uh, absolutely a contender over the next, what is it, five weeks if you take in the bye. All right, there are the highs and lows of round 23. Now let's get to the nutty bit. On Footyology... The rant off. All right, Finey, we've only got a few of those left. There's only so much anger you can channel over the course of an AFL season. But I think I've got one, and it's a uh, it's a hearty annual. Always good to fire up any self-respecting Essendon supporter. You going to count me in? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, first of all, well done on a year of, of nasty middle-aged angst. Thanks. Thanks. More to come in the finals. Three. Oh, by the way, we should mention, football might be taking a week off next week, but not us. We're on. The podcast continues. Yes. You look unsure. You're looking at me like, really? You're <laughs> no. desperate about it. No, no, no. We're, we're, we're going to be here. We will, uh, we will be here to fulfill your AFL podcast requirements. Good. But, but we'll get to that in a minute. Before that, this. Three, two, one. I'm pissed off with Hawthorne, Finey. Will they ever stop throwing a spanner in everyone else's works? Bloody hell, they're not even in this year's final series, but they've still managed to completely change the complexion of it with that win over West Coast in Perth on Saturday night. Talk about deja vu. I thought it was 1991 all over again, except this time the stun mullets weren't Matera, Kemp and Sumich, but Kennedy, Darling and Cripps. Forget special comments men when Hawthorne are playing. They should just drag out any time Peter McKenna was covering one of their games and play on a loop his famous mantra, Oh, you just can't ride Hawthorne off. I reckon the rest of the AFL needs to get together and work out how to finish them off once and for all. I mean, the Eagles would happily take the lead there. I reckon Essendon would happily contribute to the summit too, seeing they've now got to play the bloody Eagles in Perth. They buggered up the Bulldogs-Adelaide game before it even started, putting the heat on the dogs to win, which was the end of the Crows, and Port Adelaide as well. And then just to rub it in, Hawthorne don't even get there themselves. So even when they're not there, they're there in spirit. Bloody hell, Hawthorne, let someone else be front and centre for a change, will you? Twelve bloody flags in the last 49 seasons, Finey. That's one every four years. My mob thought we'd piss them off once and for all back in 1985 and we kicked their ass in a second straight grand final. Gee, that worked out well. The scorecard since then, Essendon two premierships, Hawthorne another eight. Michael Tuck played until he was about 56. I reckon Sean Burgoyne will still be going when he's 76. They've got another version of Dermy and James Sicily and bloody Warple's going to end up like Sam Mitchell with a moustache. And even when it all falls apart, they land on their feet. Jesus, I mean, they nearly merged 23 years ago because they had no supporters and their president had spent all their money on gold-plated toilet seats. So what happens? 
Don Scott rips a bit of Velcro off a Melbourne jumper and, hey, presto, they not only save their ass but end up with one of the biggest support bases in the competition. Even their consistent attempts at the ugliest alternative strips in football have ended up as cult classics. How the hell do you end up with a fashion statement when your colours are a metaphor for human waste? Just piss off, Hawthorne. I know you guys aren't used to taking your end-of-season trips this early, so I've got a suggestion. A one-way ticket to hell. The fares are cheap, and you can have fun beating the demons every week, so it'll be just like the real thing. That was very good. Very good. And I... It could also be titled, Thanks, We've Got to Go to West Coast and Lose. Yeah, well, you know, it'll make a difference for us. And going into state and getting smashed in a, a, a final, that'll be three of the last four it happens in. So looking forward to that. All right, are you ready? I am. Three, two, one, rant. What a great last two weeks of the season. It was, of course, round 22, and there were those magnificent games between Brisbane and Geelong, followed up by the cracker between Richmond and West Coast. And then we rolled into the last round with everything to play for. The top four teams trying to defend their position with Collingwood hot on their hammer. Collingwood got in by virtue of Hawthorne beating West Coast. Does it get any more exciting than that? Can Richmond hold off Brisbane? You bet they can, but Brisbane came hard. So football next week should be magnificent. No, it won't. There is none. Pardon? There's none. No football next week. Cool your heels. Everybody have a week off. What for? So we can spin the wheel of luck. Maybe it'll come up Bulldogs. They made the finals and it spun up Bulldogs in 2016. Maybe it'll come up Richmond. Who knows? West Coast might be the fortuitous team. Nick Natanui gets an extra week to be healthy, comes back, best on ground against Essendon, goes on to help them win the flag. It's crazy. It's kooky. It's unnecessary. Look, football's about momentum. Ask any coach, the most important thing in the game is getting on a roll and staying there. And football is on a roll and taking a week off. You know what? I hope Rugby League, rugby league out rates, rates them. I hope the A-League gets a flying start. I hope the Test Cricket in England wins all the ratings because football, a bye, is disastrous. Passionate stuff, Fonny, and I could not agree more. What are they doing? And look, if you want to see all the serious arguments about that, uh, I did write a piece about this. And in fact, I have several times, I think. Will they listen? Or maybe they will if this year the two qualifying final winners get knocked off after starting flat-footed in a preliminary final. We'll certainly be interested to see that. We're just about done here. A uh, quick reminder, finally, about our competition this week. Well, if you're a football tragic like Rowan Connolly or Mark Fine, you won't allow the buy round to impact upon your ability to find a footy game, a kneeful game, a sandful game, a waffle game. And I thought, if you throw in the VFA in any other competition, I've actually seen some great games that weren't league footy. So what is your favourite game? Give us a quick description of it. Non-AFL, stroke VFL, of course, league football. Your favourite non-league footy game. And a, and a nice description of why. Yeah, of correct. Course, and, uh, why, why the memories are so strong. Got one off the top of your head? Yeah, look, many VFA games for me. I was a, a big Caulfield fan, but for me, the one, the most memorable one was that famous relegation game down at Sandringham. Ah, yes. Uh, where the f- fence caved in, so that was a great game. It was and, Sandy and Caulfield, was it? No, 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 no Sandy no. and... Preston, I think, or, yeah, might have been Sandy and... Look, I should know if it was one of my favourite games. <laughs> um, was it Sandy and Dandenong again? No, yeah. it was Oakley. Oakley and... Well, Sandringham, because 
Rex Hunt ended up in trouble with the coppers. Yes. I'll go check it. Look, it wasn't that memorable. But for me, some of my most memorable games were State of Origin games. Yep. Well, I got one I'll throw in. I threw in a different one the last time we talked about this, but uh, 1973 South Australian Grand Final, North Adelaide v Glenelg. Graham Corns, the hero for the Bays in the last minute, uh, but an incredible game of footy at Adelaide Oval. High scoring, champions of the game. You will have heard of a lot of them. Fantastic to watch. And I think the whole thing is on YouTube. Anyway, it wasn't when I... Uh, sent off to a mail-order mob in South Australia and actually got a copy on VHS tape. Um, so impressed was I with the game. Now, one thing I'll say, it needs to have sort of been a televised game. So we're not talking local footy games that you may have played in, but something that was sort of televised at the time. And yeah. plenty of VFA games, I'm sure, uh, burn in the memory of footy fans. Okay, that that is this week's task, and uh, for your trouble, you will receive, or the lucky winner will receive, an Andrews Hamburgers t-shirt in your size, an Andrews Hamburgers cap, and a 100% organic cotton gym towel, courtesy of Argon, who have been fantastic helping us out on the prize front this season, and we appreciate their support very much. That is it, Finey. What are we going to do on the song front this week? Well, I've actually got a band... That's one of Nick Rebold's favourites. Oh, really? He put me onto it. He Actually, he, I remember he, he was a big fan of The National. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's pretty contemporary. Yeah. So this is a band called British India. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I know them. Um, well, I, I know of them. And given that Collingwood made the finals, yeah. final, top four, I should say, we knew they were going to make the finals. But this was a great weekend for Collingwood. They got one about stealing cars or? Please. Okay. This song is... We'd like to think that podcast is the new radio. Yeah. Well, this is called Black and White Radio by British India. Let's give it a spin. Thanks for your company, everyone. I hope your team got a win. We'll speak to you this week. When we continue doing footyology, there may be no footy, but we'll still be here. Tune in next Thursday. (laughs) 